It's December 7th, 2020. This is Rook. He is an Iranian-German cinematic artist who is a master in combining animation with documentary. He's an acclaimed and outspoken film director, producer, and visual effects supervisor. And he is one of the people doing really important work with and for the Iranian diaspora, including The Green Wave, the seminal documentary about the 2009 Green Movement. But Ali Samadi Ahadi has been diagnosed with advanced leukemia, despite his relative youth, and he's fighting to finish more film work while he fights cancer. He has generously agreed to a feature interview and Ali Samadi Ahadi joins me today, plus Mona from Melbourne, the Rook team, and letters about Kusha. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode number 68 of Rook. How's it going, everyone? Another weekend over, another Arsenal team loss. This is the uh, masochism of being a gunner, an Arsenal football fan. Even my dog, Oogie, like he couldn't look at me after the game yesterday. (laughs) My dog was hanging his head in shame for being associated with me and my Arsenal fandom. Uh, we are on an ongoing mission to uh, build this new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We come to you, we come to you with peace. <laughs> we come to you on Spotify, iTunes, the Telegram, the Instagram, the YouTube, and the SoundCloud. Uh, we have Mona from Melbourne calling in from Australia in about an hour from now, the Persian priestess of Proverbs. Uh, hello, the fabulous Keon. Hello. You look Gian. I, I need a verb for, or not a verb, but adjective for Gian. Well, I see. Reza, Shaya, you've, any ha- you've had seven months so far. <laughs> I have nothing. Yes. It's not. It's not the <laughs> nicest is, one. It's the pace I'm used to from you. Uh, the fabulous Keon, you look particularly fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, you know what? It's your it's hair is resplendent. It's not officially winter, but it feels like winter. I made uh-huh. the conscious choice today of putting on the torture device, otherwise known as pantyhose. Oh, yes. Uh, TMI, once again. Less <laughs> than that, less than TMI? a minute into the show. <laughs> Ladies can relate. It's I wasn't referring to your... I, I could only see your face. You guys I, are blessed to be men. I honestly can say that. You don't have to deal with pantyhose, bras, mm. periods. <sighs> but nobody <laughs> nobody asks us out. You guys have that. I don't think men they don't will now that, that I mentioned periods. <laughs> you <laughs> Almost every show, it seems. <laughs> Thank you, the fabulous Q. You're welcome for that TMI. For explaining... Yeah, you know, our uh, feature guest today, um, here's a segue. Does not have periods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very moved and appreciative that he's uh, agreed to come on our program. He is the excellent filmmaker and animator, Ali Samedi Ahadi. He's in Germany. He's the, the man behind some award-winning films and documentaries, very popular movies. Uh, there was a, a comedy he did um, about 10 years ago. It's called uh, Salami Alekom. 
which became a, a big hit film in your in Germany and in Europe. Uh, but he's also the guy who made the Green Wave. Shia, did you see that? Yes, yes, the Green Wave. Is see, I didn't even bother to ask Keon and, and Reza. <laughs> Just went straight to you because I figured you'd seen it. Yes. Uh, it's it's spectacular. I remember seeing it for the first time. It came out in 2010. And it's a documentary about the uh, 2009 Green Movement in Iran after the disputed elections and the crackdown that occurred. And it's an aggregation of the of the the words of the bloggers and the kids and the people who were on the streets and the cell phone footage captured together. And for the blog parts, because he doesn't have it on video, rather than using actors or anything, he he did animation for it. Yes. So it's I I think it's the first documentary. I don't know, maybe Reza, you can answer this, but that mixes animation and and doc format like this uh, is the first one i've seen that's for sure uh, i'm there may be others but this is this was the first one that came to my attention anyway the green wave is he's, he's made other films he's made uh, uh award-winning documentaries and he's and he's been working on films since then including kids films uh, and comedies but uh as i mentioned in the the intro there ali has been diagnosed with a very advanced form of cancer and it has obviously badly affected his ability to be active and do the work he loves but he's continuing to work believe in what he does apparently he's still working on three films i'll have to ask him how he's doing that um and despite his condition he's agreed to this interview i'm very grateful i'm looking forward to it so in a few minutes we will get to ali samadi ahadi um shia yes, yes i have a bone to pick with you oh no a bone. Yes, I was, like, I was wondering if that expression would like, fall upon happy years of yours or not. Pick a bone means... Like promise to... No, 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 not promise. It's not a positive thing. Uh, it's a... Uh, pick a bone means... Uh, Imagine actually, two dogs. Actually, this is the reverse of the Persian yeah. Proverbs. <laughs> How do we... Uh, Imagine two dogs and a bone. What do What happens when you put those... Two oh, dogs and a bone together. They, oh, mm. so they pick a bone. I'm not sure that that is that where it is comes that, from. That's how, what mm. I imagine. What's that? Pick bone? a bone. I actually don't know where it comes from. Maybe from Mona from Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we since she can't speak Farsi, it turns out, <laughs> like me and Keon, she might be. I don't understand. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Oh Check yeah, I have bone. a bone to pick with you. Yes. Okay. Uh, so it means I've got a problem. I've got something to bring up with you that I'm unhappy with. With me. Yeah, with Ooh. you. I know, it's a shock to you because you're a tediously perfect person. <laughs> there's never anything wrong with you. But Shia, you yes. made me feel bad on the last show. How could you? You made me feel bad because I explained that my favorite type of cheese, feta oh. cheese, is called panna de tabris. Yes. And you rolled your eyes, you being the language expert that we all defer to, we bow down to <laughs> on this show. As soon as you say, no, that is not really a way we say in Farsi. You know, as soon as you said that that wasn't the way people, what people call it in Farsi, I just assumed, I, I, I take your word for it. I mean, we all, you know, we've elevated you to the god of language. As soon as the show is posted and people are listening to it, I start getting messages, including from friends and strangers, people on the street, wayward <laughs> folks who <laughs> saying, "Aha, uh -huh, Pani de Tabriz is, is totally the name of this cheese, is absolutely what we call this cheese. I don't believe it. What do you mean you don't believe I've, it? I've heard of Panira Bulgari. That's that's what I, you know, but I've never heard no, that's Panira. Bulgarian cheese. But that's what we well, call that's it. A, no, that's not what we call that's it. That's what my family called it. Anyway, <laughs> I can tell you I got messages from London, from <laughs> Vancouver, London. <laughs> and from Thornhill, it might have been my mother, uh, saying 
that Panita Tabriz is correct. Yes. Is fine. Uh, yes and no. In my defense, I have to say that in Tehran, uh, when you go to supermarket, <laughs> <laughs> you mean super? <laughs> there is some paneer, there is some cheese that it's called paneer sefide feta. So big and and it's it's totally different from paneer tabriz. So I thought one of the people who told me that you were wrong and made me feel better about my life because I had said paneer tabriz. A person who's located in California, by the way, a, a yet another person said that paneer sefid refers to goat's cheese, not feta cheese. Do you know what the difference between goat's cheese and feta cheese? Could you explain for me, please? Uh, how do you oh. explain it? Go- goat cheese, goat cheese is from, from well, the goat. You see, oh. there's a goat and uh-huh. it oh, oh. releases and milk. No. So panita sefid, uh-huh. by the way, for those who don't speak uh, uh, Persian, panita is cheese, sefid is white. What? So white cheese, panita sefid refer, refers to goat, goat. cheese. Uh-huh. Panita tabriz is the name for, I mean, I'm sure that there are people who disagree. I just, you were so sure that I was wrong that I thought I would bring this up. I'm still getting you back for that time that you knew the name of the Bowie song (laughs) and I I didn't. (laughs) So now I know a Persian calamir that you don't. It still hurts, eh? It still still burns. Oh boy. What is Panita Shirazi, uh, dear oh, Reza? No. Your hometown. We don't have Panita Shirazi. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheese-free city. That's right. Yeah, it's right. cheese-free so city. Why is it Panita Tabriz? Like, is there special cows that are there that That's make correct. this you cheese? You know what we That's should correct. do? We should ask Chef Zare. Ooh. First oh. of all, he's from Tabriz. Ah. Second of all, he's a chef. He should know That's all about That's right. This stuff. That's right. Uh, that's right. Actually, you know what? Let's I'm going to ask him. him I'm going to ask him right. Actually, do you want to try calling him? Yes. Let's see if you can call him. Let's call him on the phone. Because uh, that's in, easier than Googling it. In the right? meantime. <laughs> in the meantime. Oh, that'd be great if he picks up the phone. Oh, we can do this right this right second. In the meantime, let me say this. Um, we have a special coming up. Keon. Uh, there's that, many no, specials yes, coming I'm, up. Yes, I'm telling you do, about okay, it. Okay, tell me about, about it. Yeah. It is, uh, I've been on this long time quest to, uh, to find... Uh, the the answer to why there is a strange and disproportionate connection and affection between Iranians and the band Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a two-part special. Two parts. I'm announcing this right now uh, as we wait for Chef Hos Zareh <laughs> to answer the phone or not. Uh, we could also ask Chef uh, Hamid Salmian. Yeah, we can. We can ask all of our chefs <laughs> to... Uh, you got calling oh, Zareh. Yeah. Chef Hoss Zareh from San Francisco, the fabulous, the famous. Hi. Is that Chef Hoss? This is Hoss. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> it's Gian it's, it's in Toronto. I'm sorry. to Thank you for picking up the phone. Sorry to cold call you. You're live on Rook right now. We, oh, boy, boy. Yeah. I hope that's a candid question. <laughs> yeah, it's a candid question. You guessed correctly. We've got a, um, we need you to help uh, settle a debate. Uh, and uh, are you ready? Can you help? I do my best. Okay, okay. It's so great that you answer. All right, so here's the thing. On the last show, I was telling this story uh, about how I went to the supermarket to get my favorite cheese, which happens to be feta cheese, or as I know it growing up in my family, affectionately, panita tabriz. Now, Shia 
said, and you know, I always defer to Shia, my best friend here, because he he's so iruni. You know, uh, <laughs> I figure he knows all the. You know, he's he's the the. the Salam Aziza. There's Shia. Salam yeah. Salam. And he's Shikamu. Don't try and <laughs> don't try and win him over with the Salam Aziza, Shia. So Shia <laughs> says to me, Shia says to me, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> Listen, so he he says that's not what uh, that's not what it's called. Uh, it's 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 it, that we don't have that word for it. I don't know what that is. We call it pani de sefid. Now I felt bad because of course I defer to Shia. I go okay, must be I must be wrong. Maybe my that was a quirk of my family. Um, the show airs. It goes. It gets posted, and I start hearing from people that in fact pani de tabriz is the correct name for uh, feta cheese, tasty good feta cheese that is. And now Hanuz Bavarishun Nemishet Hanakion and and Shia are saying no i don't know if that's right so we've come to you the expert uh so <laughs> please give us your decision well, well well top of my head i can say the best feta is is the leg league one from the, the village of league one pattern league one that's okay. what it's still i don't, I don't like where this is, is going All right. so no no i want right. to give you no pattern league one is at the village they are dairy and it's always it's been doing it old-fashioned way even they try the new companies they go against them but like Italian, the old-fashioned way of always, uh, if they take care of a little hygiene, it's be the best way to do it. So okay, wait a second. Where's anyway, that? Where's leg one? It's in Azerbaijan. In okay. Oh, okay. It's, so close. All yeah, right. All right. Yeah. And the second one is called Mohan. Dash the Mohan. Again, right. Azerbaijan, the dairy. Okay. Tabriz was very famous uh, for the dairy too. Like my mother's side, my grandpa. He was a famous uh, dairy production and he used to uh, have amazing one. So you're right. There's Tabriz as a cheese called Panir Sefi, Panir Tabriz. But the best feta, no, no, we don't call it feta. Feta is English. We call it uh, League One Panir. Panir League One is the best, in my opinion, in Iran with the original uh, recipe. But Tabriz has many uh, cheeses. But the they call you can call it Tabriz or Sefit, but but, but if it, but if it's in if it's in Azerbaijan, isn't Pani de Tabriz close enough? Uh, <laughs> no, because they, well, I have to give Aww. the credit for the locals. Okay, because all right. Yeah, like you're telling Iran is Tehran. That's right, 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 right. right, right. I'm trying politically. He was clearly Chef Haas was clearly the wrong person to go to. <laughs> He's going deep into the weeds here. Listen, listen. Oh boy, what's the fifth? I well, no, so, 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 so here, so, so, would panita? Let me. Okay, let me ask this a different way. Amongst the options, is panita? So you're saying it's not incorrect, but it's it's also there's other things you could call feta cheese as well. Yeah, I mean, yes, true. But I mean, there's a feta, Greek feta, there's battle age feta, there's Bulgarian feta. But if somebody came at, but Haas, if somebody came up to you and said, oh my God, I really want you to make me an omelet, but please use Pani de Tabriz, would you know what they mean? Uh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Now, and the other thing that, so Shia, do you accept that? Yes. Now? All right. And then the other thing is that Shia had said pani de sefid. You just said it as well. But somebody had told me that that refers to goat cheese and not feta cheese. Is, is, is pani de sefid feta? Uh, it can be, but uh, the most of the ship in Iran was a, uh, mostly common was a sheep milk. And um, the goat considered that as the same as cow. Nice. But the, the new generations has been changed. But the, pretty much we use the, uh, a lot of uh, sheep milk ship for milk. any uh, sheep. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> You're the best. Sorry to disturb you. Uh, please get no, back to you. your regular programming. Always hear uh, from you guys. Make me happy. Uh, by the way, yes. for this, I will share with your program in the future my favorite and uh, famous goat cheese cheesecake. Oh. Ooh. I have a very signature. Actually, I, I did it. I asked people, they gave the 50-50% uh, thumbs up for the chocolate pecan tort, which is a flourless. I gave that recipe on my Instagram. But for your show, we will talk later. I would love to share with your audience the goat cheese cheesecake, which is to, wow. to die for. Thank you. To die for. Huh. Chef Hossare, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate my, it. Always a pleasure. Okay. Have a good time. Thanks for picking Happy up. Happy holidays, right. by the way. Bob, yeah, and to you. So he's turned into an ad. He's like promoting his cakes and stuff. It's like, dude. Oh, man, I love that guy. He's so good. He's the best. And he's such a, he's, you know, such a great chef and, and knows what he's talking about. And I, he particularly knew, I mean, he, off the top of his head, you see what happened there? He had started naming villages in Azerbaijan. That, that, uh, had you heard of Legwan? Legwan, yeah. Legwan. Hmm. Yeah. Better question is, do you need some time to go cry in a corner now? Yeah, Sorry, I understand. You want to go cry? No, now? I listen. I what, what are you? This is like the he Trump was, supporter was, in her, again. <laughs> he was trying so hard to get Chef Haas to say what he wanted him to say, and he did. And he typical did. Democrat. Listen, I'm I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm I, all I can't. You know, all I'm thinking about right now is getting my hands on some ship milk. Uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> milk was the best. Oh, uh. All right. Anyway, I was in the middle of. Um, uh, are you okay, Shia? Yes. Just, um, <laughs> see the way he worked the crowd. He, see the he, he gets on the phone with her. Yeah, Salam Azizam. <laughs> Salam he never calls me Azizam. No, I know. <laughs> it's just he's working the audience trying to get the <laughs> answer he wanted. So um, I was telling Keon uh, when you were calling Chef Huss there uh, about the Pink Floyd special. Uh, we we're doing this. A two-part. I think it's going to be in two parts. It might be three. We've got 15 guests from around the world, some very prominent names, uh, who will speak about how and why Pink Floyd became the band. So it's called Why Pink Floyd, uh, Iranians and, and Floyd, and um, I'm really excited about it. We're, gonna, we're trying to roll it out in the next couple of weeks at some point. Maybe it'll be over the Christmas break. We'll see. We've just got a, a few more uh, interviews to do. It's uh, pre-recorded. We're you know getting... A lot of information on this. It's been so exciting, yes. kind of doing this, right, Shia? Yes, I'm yeah. super excited. I'm super that. excited too, and the lineup of people is very exciting. Uh, yes. Some some of our favorite musicians, some of our favorite music critics and, and speakers, and and from the Iranian diaspora within Iran, outside of Iran. Um, so. Let's get to our feet. We have letters coming up, right? Yes, yes, a lot of letters about Kusha. We, my God, we got a lot of letters for Kusha. She our has a episode? lot of fans. She yeah. has a lot of fans. They wrote in. Yeah. All right. All very positive. We will get to those. Um, the fabulous Keon, Captain Reza, Groovy Shia. Stick around. Let's get to our feature guest. Our guest today is an acclaimed and outspoken film director, producer, and visual effects supervisor. Iranian-German cinematic artist Ali Samadi Ahadi is a master in combining animation with documentary. He's particularly known for his award-winning docs Lost Children, made in 2005, and The Green Wave, a film that looked at the green movement and the disputed elections in Iran in 2009. That film came out in 2010. Ali's made feature films like the comedy Salami Alekom and 45 Minutes to Ramallah, and he has served as the as a producer on the recent films Tehran, Taboo, and Made in Islam. 
Ali was born in Tabriz. He had to escape the Iran-Iraq war and went to Germany alone at the age of 12. After graduating from high school, Ali focused his education in visual communication, specifically film and television. And by the end of the 1990s, he started his career as a filmmaker with several documentaries as a director, film editor, and cinematographer. Throughout the years, Ali has received numerous prestigious awards and honors, including the German Film Award in 2006, the UNICEF Award, and the Al Jazeera Award for Lost Children, and the Deutsche Film Critic Award in 2009 for the Best Feature Film Debut, Salami Alaikum. The Green Wave was awarded the Grimm Press in 2011 and ran in the World Cinema Documentary Competition at Sundance. Ali was diagnosed with advanced leukemia in 2015, but that has not entirely slowed him from working on three new feature films based on old fables from Germany, Sweden, and a book of poetry from Iran. And right now, Ali Samadi Ahadi joins me from Cologne, Germany today. Hello, sir. Asian, how are you doing? I am doing, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm very happy to get to speak to you. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much to have me here. Man, you know everything about me. That's incredible. <laughs> I don't know everything about you. That's why I want to interview you. I want to learn more. You know, one thing I do know, and, and first of all, I, I have to say, I know you've been dealing with cancer. And as someone who comes from a, a family very familiar with cancer, my heart goes I, out to you. How, how are you doing with that these days? Um, yeah. It has this... Um, a little story somebody jumped from the 20s stage uh, and while he was falling down he was saying till now i am fine um it's just like like that for me no uh you know anyhow with cancer or without cancer uh, uh you have to try to enjoy your life and uh, in every day and every second and that's what i'm trying to do Good man, mm. good man. No matter how long it will be. How did you How did you find out? When did you find out about this diagnosis? It was just um, by accident because I had um, some pain in my stomach and, and, and I went to, to hospital. Actually, I went to the doctor. He couldn't find anything. And then I went to, to the hospital and um, they kept me for some hours there after they checked everything and then the doctor came in and said uh, well you have uh, you have some some problems with your, with your stomach but uh, your main problem is not that but blood cancer and uh, I was joking then and I, I was telling him well I think you are in the wrong room because I'm not in charge for cancer hmm. but he was not smiling and he was not laughing so then I understood he, he he means what he says. And how did that affect you when it sank in that this is your diagnosis? In that time, I was I was finishing my film, uh, one of my films. And the first question I had in my mind was, uh, how will that work? Right. And then uh, I was thinking about my family. Uh, I was I was in the in the first moment I was not really my thoughts were not really about me but about the people around me. But then I would I would think I would say like some month 
later, slowly, I understood what it means. I mean, speaking of the environment around you, uh, this is a distressing time for almost everyone around the world during a global pandemic. Is it? Is that amplified, dealing with cancer at a time when there's a pandemic going on? Absolutely. As a, uh, for me, it is very, very, very serious. Uh, actually, uh, I had a, a transplantation. And because of that, I have to take uh, immune suppression uh, medicine. And that means that my uh, immune system is very weak. Yes. And for that reason, and my lungs are, are also weak. So uh, since Corona is attacking the lungs uh, and having a weak defense system, uh, and for your body, it is it is like uh, yeah, a big challenge. Yeah, that's you've got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, but it, you don't seem to have slowed your step in terms of your your film output. I, let, let me let me come back to how you've been coping. And 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 by the way, the mini docs that are being made about you and your condition. I want to talk about that. But you've done such remarkable work in recent years, Ali. No no one would think you've had any barriers to your career. I want to get to your filmmaking and and the Green Wave in particular. But let's go back to how you came to Germany. You were you were born in Tabriz. Did you grow up in Tabriz as well? Yes, just the last two years. Uh, actually, uh, from 10 to 11, I was living in Tehran, but living in Tehran means nothing because if you're uh, in, 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 like, we were, we were in, in an area, Tehran is so big, you can't say you are living in Tehran as a kid because you don't move so much. So I was living in a very small part of Tehran. Right. Uh, and then I went back to Tabriz for the last year, and then uh, my parents des- decided uh, to to send me away from from Iran because of the war. Uh, in the same time, like the same year, my uh, cousin died in, uh, on the front, and that was the and two of my uh, classmates, and that was the reason why they decided to send me out. And by the way, this is by the mid-1980s, they were sending kids to the front line, like teenagers, you know, so even as a 12-year-old, it's not like it was going to be another 10 years before you would have to go into military service. You could be sent almost any time, right? Yeah, that's that's true. And that was also the reason why I lost my classmates, because they were like one year or two years older than me, and they went to Asabasiji, they went to militia uh, to the front, and they didn't came back. That was uh, that was in the time when Iraq started really heavily to use also chemical weapons, and uh, Iran was running out of soldiers. Yeah, and it was the kids that they sent to the front lines too. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's just outrageous. Do you you know uh, these stories? There are so many of them, but they never get tired because they're so extraordinary. I, on the face of it, as a kid who grew up in the West, even with my confusing identity issues about being Iranian and Canadian and British, and I, I, I still can't imagine escaping a war at the age of 12. How does that even happen? What are the mechanics of that? You, you got on a plane saying you were going to be visiting relatives or something? How, how do you leave at the age of 12 alone? Well, um, I... 
actually I didn't really leave the country alone. My parents came with me, but they went back two weeks later. But uh, that was the only time I, you could enter during that time Germany without any visa <sighs> under under 13. So once you were over 13, you need you you had to have a visa. But for kid, for 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 a young uh, man, they they were not giving any visa. So that was the reason why I had to leave Iran before my birthday. And then we came to uh, to Germany, and then I went to Bremen, and then uh, we had a we had a family member there. But then later on, uh, uh, I decided to to go away from from there. So, so what's it what's it like to be a twelve year old, dropped off in a country, uh, a new country, um, mm. where I'm 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 assuming you didn't speak German when you arrived in Germany at the age of twelve, um, yeah. and your parents saying, okay, we have to go now. But um, uh, <laughs> how how did you deal with that? I didn't really understood the situation. I mean, if you are in the situation, you are in the situation. So you don't really have the choice, right? P- uh, much, much more, much more uh, painful for me as a father is to think about how my parents were uh, dealing with that, yeah. leaving their kid alone in a country uh, and having no idea when they and if they are going to see him again. Um, and just to say, stay here and stay safe and uh, take care and then leave. That's so painful as a, pa- as a father or as a mother. I can't imagine through how much pain they have gone. And by the way, at that time, there wasn't facebook or social media where they could they could check in with you by the hour right this this is uh they're sort of dropping you off and and you're sending probably letters back and forth or making a a phone call once a month or something yeah i mean uh, iran was so difficult to reach because um the 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 phone lines were so heavily damaged through the walls but in the same time you uh as you say it was so expensive to to have a phone call to 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 Iran uh, as a as a refugee kid you you were not able to 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 call call up uh, like I don't know as you say maybe one one time a uh, month yes uh, yeah so how did you adjust to this new country as a teenager once you you have to to take care of yourself. I think there, there is no more the time. I mean, you 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 don't have the time to be a teenager. You know, um, you have to deal with the school, and you have to care for yourself. You have to buy food, cook food. You have to work uh, to get money and uh, organize your life. So uh, there is not a real. And I was very active in political. Uh, organizations uh, and uh, social uh, organizations. So uh, I was too busy to to be 
in Asia. Was there much of a Persian community there? Like, how did you get treated by the other kids? Were you seen as an other? Were you otherized? Were you seen as a minority? Or did you generally fit in? We talk a lot about uh, what it was like for Iranians, those of us who were in the West, in North America, that is, for in the 1980s. But what was it like in Germany? I think the, the, the way how people were looking at you uh, was different than now. Um, the majority of the of the of the people from outside, uh, they came just to work here, and then they they will go back uh, once they have enough money. Migrant but workers. With, uh, with yeah. us, it was different. We were not here for working. We were here because of other reasons, because because of the war or of of political issues. And I would think, uh, like in '85, uh, when I came to Germany. Mm-hmm. Most of the people would ask you where are you coming from, what's your name, and then when you want to go back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think yeah. the last question is not so um, so uh, often asked in the last years anymore. Right, right, right. It's become more of a cosmopolitan world. Here. Yeah. So you're this kid, you're a teenager. You get into your early twenties in, in Germany. What what was it about filmmaking that captured your imagination? And when did you have a real sense that this is what you wanted to do with your life? As I said, uh, with fourteen, um, fifteen, I was very very active in political organizations and refugee organizations and uh, social organizations, and I was organizing demonstrations and so on. And um, by the time you were fourteen, you were doing that. Yes, yes. Wow. I was with. I think with fifteen, I organized in the middle of the winter uh, in Hanover a demonstration for the people in El Salvador. And uh, like, there were there were two or three Germans in this demonstrations, and three or four hundred Iranians. I organized. It was so wow. funny. Um, and people, the Germans, were thinking that Iranians are from El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're trying to talk with them in Spanish, but they couldn't understand. It was really, uh, uh, yeah, I was very active. And then, where, where did you uh, get your, hang on, where, where did you get your politics from? How, how does a 14-year-old become aware of what's happening in El Salvador and, and organize demonstrations around it in Hanover, Germany? <laughs> yeah, I started with uh, organizations, with refugee organizations, and then I, uh, I was also um, working with Amnesty International, and slowly uh, but surely, uh, all these informations were taken. But do you, do you come from a hmm? political family? I mean, why were you joining Amnesty International instead of just playing football or hanging yeah, out? Yeah, uh, well, I, I was, let's say, uh, I, my family was very aware about the society and okay. was taking care about the society. It was, it was important for my father and for my, my mother also serve for the society, for, for the people. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, sorry, I cut you off, but I think you were, I asked you about how filmmaking captured your, your imagination, and you answered that yeah, you were political. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining it was the to, activism that led you there? Yeah. I, I think, like, when I was um, 16, we, we made in the school a video, a film, a short film, and... I liked the, the, the working with camera very much. And then when, when, when the opportunity came to join a video club in, 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 in Hanover, I, I jumped in and, and started to, to work from there. And then we made a film about racism 
in, 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 in Hanover and a short film. We were three kids and we, were, we made this film and suddenly it was in so many festivals. Mm. And I understood that like doing three minutes of a video is much more powerful than organi organizing a demonstration for, for against racism. Right. And from there, my, my enthusiasm grew, and then I decided to study film. Ali, so much of your work um, that people will know, um, whether it's a comedy like Salami Alekum or, or a film like The Green Wave, a documentary, deals with um, uh, identity, deals with being immigrants, deals with right. migration, deals with refugees, uh, lost children, etc. Um, I, I wonder how you see your own self-identity. I know in, in 1998 you started returning to Iran to visit. Um, so this is in your twenties, but you didn't you didn't return to live there. You stay living in Germany. Did you begin at that point to self identify as German? Uh, how do you see yourself in German? You would you would say you are sitting in between of two chairs. Hmm. Um, I would say German and Iranian culture is part of my identity, and and I I, I think a human being is has layers of identity so i am a man it is one part of my identity uh, my, my background is one part of my Id identity my my cultural background uh, my languages i am i am azari too so yes, it is also yes. part of my identity and and all these layers make ali hmm. uh, i'm i'm german i'm iranian uh uh both together, and my heart is really uh, beats for Iran, and at the same time also for Germany. I, I am I'm pretty pretty clear that if there would be a danger for our society in Germany, I would try my best to to, to save this, this this society because because I know what we have, what a what a treasure we have in our hands because I know also. People in Iran are really fighting every day for for the same rights that we have in Germany. You know, um, just as a sidebar, there seems to be a real affinity for a lot of Iranians for Germany um, and for Germans. I, I and I, I've I've never been able to figure it out exactly what it is. I mean, I I hope it's not as reductive as just the Aryan thing. But um, but you know, if if I were to guess, I mean. Uh, you know, three out of four of my cousins they they love they they root for Germany in the World Cup once Iran is out. You know, it's like uh, an affinity that I would expect with some a, a culture or a place like Italy, where we seem to have a lot more in common in terms of the family organization and the emotions and all of that. But have you have you found what it is that makes Germans and Iranians, or should I say Iranians, so fond of Germans and Germany? No, I can't say that for uh, every Iranian, and I am not sure if all Iranians in Germany would would be would agree with that. Right. But I can tell you, like, look, I I I, I became so sick, and uh, if you look how the society took care of me, I mean, I I, I didn't pay. Sent right. the whole treatment I got for for my cancer. 
if you see that we we are living for 70 years now in freedom and uh, and 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 peace they have something to do they have something to say or to 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 give to this world yeah i understand and uh, yeah. Um, yeah in 2005 you make this real splash with your your film lost children about si- child soldiers in northern northern uganda it, it, you take home the film of the year award in germany and it really establishes you as a documentary filmmaker of note then in 2009, you come out with this feature film comedy, Salami Alekom, and it's the funny story of an Iranian migrant who ends up in eastern Germany. Yeah. It, by the way, it becomes one of the best-selling films in Germany at the time of its release, it, a huge success. It sounds a little familiar, given that I'm speaking to an Iranian guy who ended up in Germany. Was, was the story somehow inspired by your personal experiences? <laughs> yeah, of course, sure. But not like in every every uh, detail. But uh, yeah, it is about identity, and it is about how two families which have lost their identity. One is Iranian, which uh, had which had uh, to leave the country, and and the other one East German, who suddenly uh, um, lost the whole system, right? And the Iranian is like he was a general in, 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 uh, during the Shah time and uh, the revolution came and, and, and the, the, no, no monarchy is existing. So he's, he lost also the, the system, but also his country. And suddenly these two families comes together and, and understand through the film, uh, uh, during the film, that they can build up their own identity together. Yeah. It's a fun film. It's this combination of myth and reality and film and animation. It's got yeah. Iranian dances and songs. Uh, it's it's a happy, it's a fun atmosphere for the audience. Was the intent to provide some sort of, in terms of its tone, some sort of counter-narrative or corrective to how the Western media has often presented Muslim refugees or, or yeah. our stories as either desperate or dangerous even? I, I think, first of all, I, I made it for me and for, for people, Iranians and East Germans. I mean, I did, um, and for me, it was, there were two points. One of them was losing the identity or losing part of your identity is so painful. And starting to laugh about the pain hmm. means you get distance to, to the issue. And when you when you get the distance, you can get also an overview and a, a top view of, of of the issue, and you can deal suddenly better than um, being in the middle of the pain, being in the middle of the of the of the issue of, yes. the, of the topic of identity crisis. Of of uh, this theme is. Uh, for Iranians also, uh, but also for the German, East Germans, uh, uh, was a problem um, to to be in this pain and not to be able to laugh about it. And then the second point was, you know, Iranians in, in diaspora uh, don't trust each other, and they talk they don't talk to each other. But if we want to call us Iranians in diaspora of, or anything, if he Think about Iranians. I mean, what is Iranian? What is what is what is it to be Iranian? Um, beside 
uh, that we eat all gourmet sabzi or <laughs> cello kebab. Right. Um, what makes us, what brings you from Canada and me from, uh, from, from Cologne together? Uh, and where are the connection points? That's, that's a point where we have to talk about it and clarify, maybe uh, have a, a same vision which makes us together with the rest of 8 million people out of uh, this country to a real Iranian diaspora. Uh, for that, we have to talk, but Iranians didn't trust each other and didn't talk to each other. And for me, it was a, a great um, a dream to bring them to a room and let them laugh together about their own stories and history. That was the reason why I made Salami Alaikum as a comedy. Why don't we trust each other? Because because of the history. I mean, the, the, I mean, we are coming from a country which never really had a democratic system, uh, democratic organizations, uh, civil organizations, uh, where you were able to talk to each other openly. And this government, um, the Iranian uh, Islamic uh, gov government, is also trying its best to divide us. And even every single cell in your brain should not able to connect to each other. Right. They live from dividing the, the, the people because if you if you talk to each other, everybody asks or so many people are asking why all these uprises in Iran are not successful. I think the main reason is because we are lacking uh, of of vision. If you have a vision, then you you will follow. You will find ways how you. Uh, reach the vision. Right. We certainly lack a united vision. Sometimes it feels like there are about 90 million different visions, but, but, but not, not a united one. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, that's the main problem. What is our united vision? And uh, if you talk to each other, you definitely will find it. But the fear don't allows you um, to talk to each other. Oh, the hate. Well, well, one time, one time when it did feel like there was a vision, um, historically, although not too long ago, was during the Green Movement, and um, I remember the year after that seeing your film, The Green Wave, and yeah. being being so moved by it, uh, and of course outraged by it. There's some really heavy uh, footage in there. It's it's it, it it doesn't pull punches. Your film, it's an interesting one to make. You know, I, I, your career journey is is quite interesting to me. Here you are. We were just talking about a a comedy that was really successful in Germany that you make um, in 2009. And it would seem like that would maybe whet your appetite to do more of the same. But then your next film is this landmark documentary, The Green Wave, um, which is so poignant and so powerful that it creates the conditions where you are not able to return to Iran again because, of course, of the politics of the film. Tell me about how The Green Wave came about. First of all, I have to say uh, I try to make um, a film or I try to understand how I have to make a film. Um, so when I start a film, I, I try to get this point in which uh, form I see. this film wants to, to be 
cool. You cool. don't see, you don't start out saying I'm going to make a comedy. You start out saying what's going to serve the subject matter the best, right? I guess yes, right. absolutely. I see. I see. A- absolutely, and 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 then I decide to go this way. So I, I made the Salami Alakum. We had the premiere uh, in in Germany, and in the same evening, um, we were so happy because it, it was received by the audience so well. And in the same evening, um, somebody came to me and said, you know what, what's going on in Iran? And it was for me clear, uh, well, uh, Musavi and, Ka- and Carol, the reformists, will win. And then uh, I, I jumped uh, to the television and I was seeing uh, this uh, these people in, in the street uh, were, were beating and uh, were shooting uh, the, 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 the people and... and, and uh, from that that moment, I decided to make a film about uh, what's going on. It was clear I, I will not be able to go into Iran and film, but they were and during that time. Iran had the biggest blogging community in the world, uh, so there were so many people were blogging about time before the election and also during the election and after the election. Yes, they were writing really moving uh, blocks and uh, texts. And, and then you had the cell phones, this uh, little uh, phones with this, uh, this little cameras with a v- very bad quality. And you, have, you had that in YouTube, on YouTube. And so I, I, try, I, I, I thought, okay, uh, I, I will use these this, this videos from, from YouTube with this bad quality. And mix them up with the blocks. I always think of that time, the Green Movement, as one of the the coming out moments uh, around the world. I mean, it was it was sort of the Arab Spring happens a little bit after that, but the the, uh, the coming out moment of citizen journalism of of these people getting uh, because it was it was uh, the first time social media and um, as you say, cell phones, etc., were being used to tell stories where um, where major TV networks or others couldn't get in there and tell the stories themselves. So this documentary blends this phone footage of citizens this and and you've got animation and then you've got on-camera interviews blog notes tweets facebook posts ali tell me about navigating your way through citizen journalism and social media accounts for a documentary when you cannot always know what is the truth in some of the stories that are being told how did you deal with that the green wave 2009 was my last documentary so i i'm not professionally i'm not dealing with that anymore but as a member of this world, I have to deal with that also. So uh, I try to really, um, when I see footages, then then I, then I ask myself some questions. One one of them is, uh, who can um, get any benefit of this this video? Why is this video shared? I think also through my profession I, I when I look to, to a video I try to understand if it is professional or not yeah and I try to to find um, many sources as much as possible for, for uh, some some informations you know in the green wave you interview some reformist figures some journalists other Iranian figures in exile many of them very well known 
uh, and you do so. It was you were making this film basically over the months in the year after the the, uh, the failure of the Green Movement, yeah. and 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 you can feel. I just rewatched it recently uh, in preparation for this interview, and you know you can feel the visceral anger and sadness in all the accounts in your film. I wonder now, ten years removed, how much do you think those sentiments have changed, and do you know anything now? Uh, that we did not know in the immediate aftermath of the Green Wave? Well, I think the Green Wave was a time where people were trying to change the Iranian system within the... Uh, change Iran within the system. They tried to, to change Iran in this frame. And... But this, the, the, the regime um, said no. And from that point, I mean, they were they were playing the same. On, uh, they, the people were playing uh, the match in the, in, the, in the rules which was given by, uh, to them by the system. And but once they won, the regime started to shoot them to kill them. And from that point, it was clear that you for the people, you cannot you cannot change Iran within the system. So you have to get rid of it. Yeah, that was the breaking point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the question is, how, <laughs> what, and what, what, what should be installed after that? You know, I, I was a kid when the revolution took place in Iran, and I know people were saying everything which which comes after this regime will be better than that one. It it doesn't matter which regime yeah, comes. Yeah. But everything will be better than that one. People learned after the Islamic Republic, no, it's, it can be uh, worse than uh, the one we had. I think uh, that's also the reason why uh, so many people are, I think, still waiting for the, for the vision. And uh, to be honest, I, I think uh, the Green Wave was a moment where people had this vision, as you said, with Musavi and Karubi. And uh, nowadays, I would think uh, they, they, they can't, they can't um, trust the, the system anymore. Did the Green Wave ever get screened publicly in Iran? I'm guessing no. No, no, no. What impact did it have in Iran? I think uh, people w were watching it uh, through a satellite. Uh, in the day when Arte, uh, the German-French uh, television, was um, was screening it for the first time, the whole website of this uh, TV channel was uh, green, and um, uh, the green wave was on the front side, so it was really moving, and people from Iran, like thousands of them, was were writing um, to the to the TV station. Um, to tell them how, how important the film was for them. And um, we had the premiere of this film in Hamburg Film Festival in the front of 1,300 uh, people. And to be honest, I, as you said, it was like 10 months after after the uprising yeah. when, the when, when the film was screened. So it was we were working really hard to finish it the uh, anniversary of the uh, votings and when the film came up I had such a great fear that I will not um, that the film will not fulfill 
expectations of the Iranians. When the when the film finished, in the whole cinema, like one thousand three hundred people were just quiet. I I I started to cry because I was afraid they didn't they didn't like it, and then they started to. Uh, uh, do you say applaud? Yes. Yeah, for ten minutes, and I was just crying on the front of them, and uh, it was it was um, very moving. Yeah, it's a it is a very very powerful film because it's um, anybody who remembers that time, and certainly anybody who was there, I can imagine. Uh, it, it is. Um, you're seeing the footage. You're hearing the voices. You're seeing the the you know what we actually all, all know took place. And um, this combination, this thing you do with with animation, um, is is very powerful. How did you know uh, that using animation in this case would work rather than somehow um, diminishing or uh, I don't know, trivializing the importance of this event. I didn't know it, Jian, uh, to be honest. And I, I, I didn't have any uh, reference for that. It was the first film well, which was made in a mixture, of, in a collage of, of animation and uh, footage uh, um, together. Um, so before that, we didn't have a documentary animation collage with, 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 with uh, footage. But it was the only way I could I could uh, tell the stories of the bloggers. Mm, I didn't want it to be uh, so-called reenactment. So with uh, working with actors, I didn't want it because it's always uh, fail. And then I told to myself, okay, I tried that way. Um, and yeah. Um, Are the documentary films, uh, the, well, uh, The Green Wave and Lost Children, I, I watched uh, 45 Minutes to Ramallah, which is the, the next film you make after Green Wave, and it's a road, yeah. it's a road comedy. Um, you, you go back to sort of satirical language and you portray the long-running conflict between uh, Israel and the Palestinians. It's a comedy. I wonder, it's fun. Uh, I, I wonder if you are more personally attached to a film like The Green Wave um, or whether they're all of your babies are, the, are, are, are of yeah. the, the similar importance to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are my babies. And uh, yeah, I, I, you, you know, it's always an adventure to start a new film. You never, you never know if it, it will be successful or not. And that's the reason why... Uh, every time and you can also fail and it is also okay if you fail uh, you learn more from your uh, i learn more from my failure uh, than 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 from from my successes because uh, in the success so often you have luck hmm. um, you're lucky that things happens in failure um, you can understand because it is painful also you you understand um, more, or you learn more um, where where the where, where the problems or weakness of your of your work is. Recently, you've been making more so family entertainment, children's movies as well. Yeah. Are are yeah. you tired of politics or do, uh, and and would you ever return to documentaries? What's the reason for this shift? Uh, well, the, the starting point was because somebody offered me. 
to make a, a, a film out of a book which I love to read to my daughter. So it was very clear I will make this film. Mm. And, uh, and, and you know, there are not so many people which are in Germany which are um, familiar with uh, real, re, uh, live action and an animation mixture. And that's where my strength is, uh, people think. And that, uh, that was the reason why, why I started. And, you know, I think as an immigrant, it makes absolutely sense to work from the center of the society and to be in the center of the society and work from there in the directions where you want to go and not stay in a niche and, and work from there. I think if you, if you can manage, if you understand the mainstream and then you produce or you talk about your issues, then I think you can reach more people. I got gotcha. you. And and you can also, yeah, you can influence uh, this. I think you can move more if you if you if you stay in the middle of the society. So and I think I, I'm sorry. I I, I make yeah. still films. I produce. Uh, a few months, a few months ago, I, um, I, I we had a cinema release uh, about uh, uh, the film uh, is called um, "Tomorrow We Are Free." It is about the revolution. I think it is the first film out of the out of Iran and not influenced by the Iranian revo- uh, uh, regime about the revolution, which which was made, and um, that's something that I produced and uh, edited. Um, so. Films like that, I still do, but uh, at the same time, I, I do also animations and family entertainment. So, Ali, I so much appreciate the time you've given us. I want to I want to wind down here and end off where we started, and and that is that you seem as busy as ever. I mean, if if if, if somebody just takes a glance at your IMDb. Uh, you know, the years between 2015 and now have uh, not exactly been uh, low output. I mean, there's you're, you're doing a lot. How are you managing with your cancer to be as busy as you are? Jan, to uh, have opportunity to work gives me the feeling to be alive. I mean, I love so many people and love my family. I love my wife, my daughter, my my sisters, my brother, and my friends. But to be, and it's nice to be in the middle of the of to be loved ones. But to to be able to work, it's it is it gives me really a, lets me know that I'm alive, and that's the reason. Can't do so many things because of my of my sickness, but I can work. Are you in pain? Sometimes, yeah, but uh, then uh, then not, and then I start to work. I can't film uh, at the moment because of the virus, but I can do animation from home. Uh, I, I talk with my colleagues in, in all over the world, and and can can continue working. This is something. This is a gift for me. Uh, which is not usual. 
you are sharing your story as a cancer patient in these little mini documentaries that your your friend, a journalist, is is making about you. Has yeah. has sharing your story affected your journey through cancer? Um, I don't know. I think it. I, for me, it is it is it is nice to see that people can de- uh, can can watch it and can get something out of it. I mean. That was the most important idea behind that. When Isabel came to me and asked me, shall we do that? I, I said, okay, if, the, if that makes any sense for people, I don't mind. But uh, it, it is not, uh, I, I don't make it be, because, uh, for myself. I don't, it's I not don't, cathartic uh, for you somehow? It's not helpful to be able to talk about it or share your I stories? Talk, yeah, I, t- I talk a lot about my cancer. For, uh, with my friends, I'm very open with that because I think it is something that everybody has to deal in, uh, in, his, in his life. Everybody knows somebody who has cancer, uh, so it is it is part of our life. And to hide it, I don't like. I think uh, we should talk openly. Then I, the cancer lose also its fairness. Yes, I see that. Fear- Fairness? No, I don't know. Uh, it loses. Well, it, you could say that. You could say uh, it loses its. Uh, first of all, it becomes less taboo to be yeah. able to talk about it. Yeah. It makes means that we can all be less scared of it. In fact, because we're, we're yeah, we yeah. understand yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. In an episode of one of these mini docs, you say, after being diagnosed with cancer, I've comprehended mortality more than ever. Uh, and you know, Ali, we seem to be in a time when we are surrounded by reminders of our impermanence, um, the pandemic being one of those reminders, uh, our temporary nature in this world. Could you say, what have you learned about mortality? I learned really to be more and more than ever be in contact with myself. Uh, I learn to enjoy or or not to enjoy but to be in the moment and uh, and to use the to use the moment if it's good uh, uh, moment or bad moment I don't I don't mind but to be in the moment and to be aware about the moment it is for me very important or it became for me very important and and also to ask yourself much often why are you doing this and why are you are you not doing this? And uh, this is something which more and more became important for me. Is being in the moment a change for you? Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the points when the doctor told me you have cancer, I thought, okay, I'm di- uh, I'm going to die because I didn't know anything about blood cancer at that time. And and I was asking myself, are you happy with that, with what you have done till now, with your life? And to be honest, um, uh, I was very lucky to give me a yes answer. And and more and more, I'm I'm trying to live in a way that um, I can say that. Um, yeah, I, I I try to be to be in in peace with myself. How does it feel when you hear yourself being described as a survivor or a hero? Me? 
Yes, you. As hero, I don't hear that. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm a, maybe a kind of survivor, but, uh, you know, my, if you look um, on, uh, to my photos, you see the fight is going on. It's still going on, and, and, and I have to fight my fight. If you live in the moment, yeah. does it mean you're, you're not thinking about the next moment? Oh, uh, yes. You it have does. to live the moment in a right way. And then the next, to, to, to make the foundation for the next moment. <laughs> and if the foundation of the next moment is this moment, then you have to live that properly and in a right way. Well, Ali Samadiyahadi, I hope you will um, continue making the kind of creative fair <laughs> that you have for the last 20 years, for the next 50 years. And I, uh, and I am so grateful for the time you've given us and for the work you've done and for a film like The Green Wave in and amongst all the other great work you've done. Um, thank you for this today. Dear Jean Ramesh, thank you so much for your time and for your, for your colleagues' time which uh, you gave me and I'm so grateful that your your uh, podcast exists because I think really uh, it is a treasure for Iranian outside of the country and maybe also for the Iranian inside the, of the country that people like you bring us together. Thank you so much for your efforts. Thank you, Azizam. Take care of yourself. Thanks. Have bye a bye. nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Ali Samadi Ahadi is an acclaimed film director, producer, visual effects supervisor. His films, of course, include The Green Wave, Lost Children, and Tehran Taboo. We reached Ali Samadi Ahadi in Cologne, Germany today. Okay, back here with uh, Captain Reza Gurbishaya, the fabulous Keon, uh, Ali Samadi Ahadi. Um, wow, I was very moved doing that interview. I really uh, appreciate the perspective that he has, and um, um, what an amazing soul he is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Uh, I was tempted to watch again the green wave yeah. and uh, but I'm sure this time I will watch it with different eye. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love um, uh, Reza as a guy who makes films yourself. When I was asking him, how do you flip back from comedy to documentary, from this to that, and he and he said, you know, he he does what serves the material, what serves the content the best. Um, and I couldn't. I have this image of so many filmmakers who are stuck in their kind mm, of, this mm. is my genre, this is how I do things, I am yeah. Tarantino or whomever. Yeah. And um, uh, it was interesting to hear a perspective where he says, uh, yeah, I'll do whatever I think is, is the best with the material I'm working with. I love that, I love that. And that's a, that's a, um, a true artist would, that's how a true artist would describe their, 
their process essentially because there are no rules i mean there are rules but um he you got to learn the rules like a pro and then be able to break them to to be able to create um interesting and innovative work and he, uh, you can see that in his work and in his thought process i really like that one thing that i found found very interesting was when he said when he left Iran, I mean, he was it's 12 years old, and he didn't need a visa to go to Germany back then. I mean, it has nothing to do with the... With because the he was under 13. Because he was under 13 yeah. back then. But now you do. It doesn't matter what age range or what, what your age is. But uh, back then, you didn't need a visa yeah. to, uh, under under the age of 13 to go to Germany. That was very, very interesting. Although it's it's kind of also not macabre, but difficult. They... they, they take him there because he's just under oh, 13 right. to get him to be able to get him into the west mm. into germany and then leave him there <laughs> you know and uh but we've heard this germany story a few times now a few guests i think of mm. bita millennium and some other guests who navid came navid who came through germany um and uh that that's probably part of it you know that mm. there was more lax kind of mm. visa rules for a while Keon, did you want to say something about that? No, Ali? I was just going to say, I, I agree with Reza. That part really stuck out for me. It was during the Iran-Iraq war. And for parents to choose, make the conscious choice to leave their 12-year-old child in a foreign country, not knowing the language, no access to, in, like, you know, back then there was no Facebook, there was no mm-hmm. email. Uh, was there even a- emails? Yes, I don't there think was so. Email, was there? Yeah. Just but, started. you know, just to do that, it, it just goes to show that, that he was better off at that point in life to be, in a foreign land rather than be in the country where a war was going on and they were sending child soldiers at the front lines like that you know it's that really broke my heart yep um and his the, the point that he was talking about being present in the moment like we're it's a reminder that we're all mortals we're not going to live forever so uh, this wonderful man that has so much more to give the world he has limited time left so it's just a reminder for everybody to you know, make the as most do we of all. It. And yeah. we just our limited time might be slightly longer, but exactly. it's all it's all limited yeah, time. So it's, that really it's it's we we are impermanent beings. Yeah. Um, thank you guys. Uh, le- listen, it it is uh, it's Monday, so I have to say each week she enriches our lives by teaching us language that we did not know at least some of us so she completes us in our mission to be perfect english and persian blended specimens she's the person behind the popular Englishy farsi instagram page but as importantly she's the persian priestess of proverbs the australian sage of sayings the wondrous woman of words she is mona from melbourne our resident rook wordsmith and she joins us right now from australia hello mona Hello, hello. Omidvaram Khubashin. Thank you very much. Your Farsi's gotten so much better since last week. Oh, well, I was just listening to you guys. <laughs> By the way, Mona, did you know do you know what country the number five country in terms of the most rook listeners in the world is? Number five. Yes. Lucky number five. Um can I guess Australia? <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. It is Australia. Our, awesome. num- our number five biggest audience, which is a kind of a big deal to us because you're on the other side of the world there. It's uh, yeah. somewhere, uh, it's, it's Canada and the U.S. and then uh, Iran and Germany and then Australia. Wow. We're, we're, we're a growing population of Iranians, I feel. So I think they are either that or just curious Australians who want to know what this Maybe. rook is all about. <laughs> and 60, 62% of our overall audience is female. So... Um, Maybe they're just all tun- tuning in to from Mona from Melbourne. You know, this is a oh, stop. this is this is part of it. 
That's very sweet. That's very kind. <laughs> Mona, what are you bestowing upon our imaginations today? A word, a saying, an idiom, a proverb? Please do tell. Pray tell. Um, today is a proverb, and I'm actually going to flip it on its head this week. Um, so normally I start with um, the backstory, but this week I'm going to start with the proverb itself in English. And then we're going to flip it back to the Persian version and see if um, you and Kion can guess it. Because I think Shai and Reza probably know it. Okay. Um, but I'm going to try and um, see if you guys have heard of it before. It's quite a common saying, um, but it, it does have quite a, you know, a, a deeper meaning when you do go delve a little bit deeper. Okay, so you're going to give us the English version of it? Yes, and a few other languages have a common a common um, saying in their own um, versions. Okay. And then we're going to try and guess the Persian version. All right. <laughs> so, um, the English uh, proverb is a figure of speech that relates to having your cake and eating it too. So, have you, I'm sure you've all heard of that saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I think I know the yeah. Persian one. You version. know the Persian one? I, I oh, well. No, hang on a second. <laughs> I'll hold Don't, on to it. Let me see if I... Hold uh, off, hold off. Cake it and eat No, I... I don't know if it comes to. Um, no, I, so, I, 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 give me a hint. Why don't That's we hold off on that? Because oh, okay. I've got I've got a few things that we can go into as a prelude. Hang, and hang on a second. Let me just let, just let let me look at look at Shia and <laughs> Reza are both smiling, so you guys know what it is. I right? think, I, think I, know. I know. Okay, yeah, all right. Don't yes. you can't well, you can't uh, have your cake and eat it too is the English way of saying it. So we're That's trying right. to figure out what the Persian proverb. Now, would this be a proverb that came from? Persian first, and and then uh, the or is it just like it appears in various languages, and you're giving us the Persian version? Well, actually, I did some deep digging. So um, a lot of these proverbs, you can't actually find the root meaning of them. But when I, when you go onto Persian websites, you actually can find the root meaning of them. Um, so this this originated like in 1538 in like English literature, but the dates are quite vague in the Persian literature. So I can't actually identify who came first, but I know that a lot of cultures have, have this similar saying. And um, it's interesting because the emphasis is on different items. So in, in the English culture, it's about, you know, English tea and having their cake and eating it too. But in other cultures, it relates to um, different items that they find or place an emphasis on. Okay. So, um, uh, it's really just about trade-offs and opportunity costs. So, you know, um, I think a lot of proverbs talk about wealth and health and destiny, um, and I guess this is no different. So um, would you like me to share the different languages and different um, emphasis they have, and then we can go into the Persian one? Yes, of course. Before we get to that, yeah, <laughs> just don't give us the Persian one because I want to see if Keon guessed it, guessed it correctly. Yeah, I want to uh, see if Keon got it too. Um, so uh, the Albanian version is to take a swim and not get wet. So obviously they have um, a lot of uh, waterways where they – yeah, obviously that's something that relates to them. So you can't um, you can't take a swim and not get wet. Is that really, right. is that really the same the thing as you can't <laughs> eat your cake you and have, have your it cake all and eat it? Oh uh, yeah, sorry, that's true. Okay, yeah. Um, in Bulgarian, they talk about you can't you can't have a wolf fed and the lamb intact. So um, I believe they're quite um, uh, into their meats. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and and de Bulgari as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's ahead, right. Yeah. Or Tabrizi for in your instance. Thank you. Um, so. Yes. The Italian version is um, to want a full bottle of wine and have the wife drunk. <laughs> Wait, what? Weird one. What? You, you can't <laughs> say it again? You, so you want to have a full barrel of wine and a wife that's drunk. 
Meaning? So you can't have a full barrel of wine without um, oh, letting your wife oh, have wow, a taste. Very unusual. I didn't. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. So the English were uh, trafficking in cakes and the Italians in wine. Uh, the, we, That's correct. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so I thought maybe Keon, would you like to enlighten yeah, us? As so to you were saying version. it's a it's a something something you have with tea. Um, so it's like the baklava, zulbia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's on a tree. On a it's tree. On a, yeah, baklava. it's it's, Angur. Uh, no, it's a fruit. Uh, it's a fruit. It's a. Fr- it's dry. Oh, uh, kashmesh. No, close. Um, in the uh, same family. Oh, uh, um, oh. dates. Middle, right. Yes, dates. Yes, there uh, you so, go. Uh, what is dates? Hang on, hang on. Um, khorma, khorma. Uh-huh. Khorma. It, something it. to do with God and dates. Khodai khorma. Khorma No, wait, what? Uh, khor- dates and God. Um, you can't, you can't have the khorma and also share it with God. I don't close, know. close. <laughs> ham khodara mikhat ham khorma. Oh! Wow. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm Kion, so look at you. Look at you. Hit look a hole. Look at me, Mom. <laughs> ham, but what, now, hang on a second. Let's just deconstruct this. <laughs> this For the non-Persians, where the, the literal translation of that is, this guy wants dates and God. Mm-hmm. So how does that make sense? Because the, 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 the English is very easy. I mean, it's a, you, want your, you want to eat your cake and, yeah. yeah. Well, so, um, it's interesting because originally on the superficial search that I did, it said that it was only because they rhyme. So, they rhyme. But when you actually look deeper, um, it has a root in an Arabic um, tale that talks about um, a tribe that was very poor and they made their idols out of flour and dates and they worshipped them. But unfortunately, one year there was a really big famine and a lot of people were hungry and desperate and they started to divide the date god and ate it. Um, and it talks about how, well, that saying then evolved in, into the Persian saying of um, you can't have both God, so the idol worship, and the date too. So um, that's where the origin came from. So from this tribe in an Arab nation that um, <laughs> had to decide between worshipping God or eating the dates to stop themselves from starving. So um, it actually has an interesting origin wh- where I, I, originally I thought it was just because it rhymed, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's... <laughs> so so the <laughs> application good, would good be uh, same as, you know, you. so somebody is overstepping, somebody wants too much, somebody's being too... Poru, and you say uh, yeah. uh, greedy. You say ham chodar mechad ham chorma. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Exactly. So we always talk about opportunity cost. That's right. It's interesting. There's a whole history to it. I just thought it was what it was. Just but that's great that you knew. How did you know that, Kia? My mom says a lot because ah. I'm, I'm I yeah. tend to be greedy. I guess according <laughs> to her sometimes. So she's like ham chodar mechad ham chorma. Wow. I guess you're yeah. not as greedy. What if you're not that religious and you're not that into dates? Like I don't really want chorma or chodar. Then you just have the cake and eat it. You're right. Well, you uh, find the Gion version. That's right. Thank you. I'm uh, Mona from Melbourne. Uh, and do you want to sh- say anything about that, Shia? Did you know that story? Uh, actually, I thought um, before Mona explained, I thought it must be related to the um, getting fast. I mean, in, in fasting? Ramadan. Fasting. Fasting, yeah. yeah. And so you cannot have, if, and 
you know somebody was oh, hungry and right, right. They that would make sense they, would make yeah sense. they want to eat korma you can't respect the lord while you're eating if during a fast but, yeah. but after mona explains so it's they both work yeah uh mona from melbourne uh, have you cross-checked this with your mother because she's the only one i trust <laughs> It's actually interesting. My mom said it all the time, just like Kian. She said, "Ham horma," like uh, very much growing up because I wanted it all. <laughs> um, and uh, she, yeah, both my mom and dad said it all throughout my childhood. And it's interesting because I never really looked at the root, the root origin of it. But uh, yeah, fact checked for sure. Mom and dad seal of approval. <laughs> uh, but can I just say, if it's a bit maybe I'm being too pedantic, but. In English, it sounds like a proverb. In Farsi, it doesn't sound like a proverb. It sounds like you're, because um, in English, it's it's prescriptive. It's like you you can't uh, have your cake and eat it too. Um, mm-hmm. But in Farsi, you're not saying it the same way. You're saying, oh, you want this and you want that, right? I mean, I guess it means the same thing. It doesn't sound quite like yeah. a, um, I, like you'd have to say it like, uh, or something like that. It would sound more like a That's back. true, actually. Yeah. It is a little bit um, nuanced in Persian. In, right. Just in the but, way um, it's said. Uh, yes, but I, but I'm far right. too, probably in, too in the weeds for that. Mona Kiani, Mona from Melbourne, <laughs> you're the best. Thank you so much. And uh, we, we learn from you. We will see you next week. Sepas. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. 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 That's Bye. Mona from Melbourne. Find her page at EnglishCFarc on Instagram. EnglishCFarc on Instagram. We link to it from our Instagram or from our YouTube. It's right there, right there on the screen right now if you want to uh, copy that down. Mona from Melbourne joins us every Monday. It's Monday, and right now it's time for letters. you dancing you know, over there you're so thinking, happy that you got that problem <laughs> i see I'm it so excited. you are you are it's a good day for everything Keon. has changed <laughs> you're just day. like uh, you're shining i over got there. the bulgari cheese <laughs> question I, <laughs> I was just thinking when we switch to video we should come up with a dance for letters like a robotic okay maybe not i changed my mind for anybody that's curious gian's not a good dancer oh god that is so not stuff. true <laughs> i'm an excellent really? dancer. okay we'll have yeah. to you'll have to prove this one day Hop. So last week on episode 67, we had an interview with Kusha Alakband, the host and creator of the popular Instagram and YouTube series, Kusha's Corner. So might I add, she had, my God, I had to sift through, like it felt like hundreds of messages of just pure love. (laughs) Women love her, I I will say that. That's the majority of writers were women, um, but not all. So on Instagram, we have Farzane Bidgoli. She wrote, Besides her wonderful job in photography, it's great to have her in front of the camera as well. She's so beautiful inside and out. She has a beautiful soul. Everything she shares from her heart is so pure. Lovely. Beautiful. And then we have uh, the name is listed as Khanum Afhami. Wrote, she's from a high class family with deep, clean and sweet roots. Thanks for your interview with her. I believe she deserves one every day on a radio talk show. Oh, wow. yes. And then we have uh, uh, the username is ri- uh, listed as Sogol. There's no full name listed. She wrote, I, I can listen to this over and over again, even though I already knew parts of it. Kusha is an absolute dream. 
She's a beautiful soul with addictive energy, and her presence is one of a kind. I love her. Wow. Beautiful. So, uh, by the way, if you haven't listened to this uh, episode, number 67, it's available to you on all of our platforms. Go to our website, brookmedia.com, and um, check it out if you haven't listened yet to see what this magic is that everybody (laughs) loves so much. And then we have a Nassim Valim. She wrote, I can listen to her over and over again. What a voice. She does have a great voice. She does. She really does. The two of you together was like, wow, fireworks. So, I'm meaning you both have beautiful voices. Not Thank you. Meaning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, look at that. I compliment you once in yeah, a while. No, Be more appreciative. Nicely done. Nicely done. And then we have a username Enchanting Charisma. No name listed there. Uh, says, oh, speaking of which, uh, he or she says, the two voices from heaven came together. Oh. <sighs> It's like a movie title. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then moving on to YouTube. Um, so the, I don't know if there's a reason for this, but the male writers weren't as uh, as um, enthusiastic appreciative? about appreciative okay. about her. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what that means. They but really yeah. broke down on gender lines. Uh, it seems the negative to, it ones seems were more so. male. Yeah, yeah, okay, I guess. Right. So. I mean, listen, you you pick and choose what you like. Everybody has a preference, so sure. I guess majority of her listeners are female because they like the s- subjects and topics that she brings up. So, anyway, we have Amir Nikdal wrote. Can you not interview useless social media people, please? The Rook team talking and Gian telling his weekly stories was more interesting than what this girl was talking about. (laughs) Dear Lord. (laughs) I'm here, Nick Dell. He said it. Holy, come on, man. This girl happens to be a very successful woman who's done uh, remarkable work as a photographer. uh, But um, you're right. Everybody has an opinion. And Mm. he's right that my weekly stories are more interesting than (laughs) than anything else on the program. But uh, thank you for that but you're uh, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> as it's a <laughs> well, back I'm on joking in- of course <laughs> back on Instagram Yossi Rafi Rafi wrote Kusha is full of passion and positive energy whatever she does turns out to be an absolute success because she does it with her heart I personally learn a lot from her on Kusha's Corner aka Car Talk with Kusha and most of her topics resonate with me in order to be a better person. Bravo. Great interview. I enjoyed every minute of it. Beautiful. You know, it's true. Kusha, thank you, Yasi. Kusha is, it is positive energy. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. really committed to putting out positive energy. And, you know, if for those armchair critics or whatever who, like the last guy who didn't, uh, um, Amir, who didn't, it didn't work for her, you might want to check out Kusha's mm-hmm. Corner. Because I, I think she's, you know, uh, Cheyenne and I were talking about her interview with Airfon. It was really, it's really yeah. interesting. She's yeah. just yeah. sitting in a car, but she's such a good concert con- concert conversationist. <laughs> she, may al- she may also be a conservationist, but she's a great conversationalist. And and so um, she, you know, she draws out things, and 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 it's very it's very engaging. To That's watch. exactly it. so. What I find is the comments on Instagram. Obviously, those people have access to her page, know what she's all about. The writers on YouTube, I guess, weren't as familiar with her work Maybe, and yeah. after that show actually I went on her page and watched a few of her car talks and she's hilarious like her yeah, she's you know funny, I just yeah. I, it was so enjoyable and, yeah. and you know there's a lot of lessons in there Absolutely. so yeah and then uh, we have Marzia on Instagram wrote the Oscar for the best sit-down comedian goes to you guessed it 
Jean Romichi. Oh, yeah. Because of my feta story. Probably. Yeah, I guess your <laughs> weekly <laughs> nonsense is working for some people. My weekly nonsense <laughs> has some fans. Yeah. Mars, yeah, and the angry Amir guy. Uh, <laughs> All right. Club. So on that... Thanks, Mazzy. <laughs> So on that episode with Kusha, we were, again, just back to the cheese. We were discussing what Iranians call white feta cheese. So a few people wrote about that. We have Alex Asghari on uh, YouTube wrote... Asghari. Askari, pardon me, wrote, In the old days in Iran, they called it Panira Tabriz. Thank you. Or oh. Panira Likvan, as mm. Chef oh. Wassara was saying. Oh, yeah. full circle. Yeah. Like so that. that, yeah, so okay. Club. Uh, both, and that, both of those things, yeah. ne- neither of which I guessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that same episode as well, we were wondering what the uh, Farsi, the Persian word for metalhead oh, or right. hooligan was. I was talking about the guy who was behind the counter when I went to get the Panic yeah. Tabriz, yeah. and he's kind of a rocker guy with the stringy, uh, greasy hair and yeah, everything. It all comes full circle. Metalhead. So what, it, uh, <laughs> what have we got? Yeah. So we have a Sepid Homa wrote, hooligan should be asholash. Asholash or asholash? Oh. I'm looking at you, Shaya. What do you think? So. No, I don't know what that <laughs> What's means. What's an asholash? Means, for example, I beat you and then you became asholash zakhmi. You know? <laughs> beat up. Asholash <laughs> oh. is beat up. Like oppressed? No. no, like beat up. Like if you you make someone asholash after beating them up. Yeah, that's not really huh. yeah. Okay, well, we have another user okay. that wrote that has their take on this. So Garshasp Nodan wrote, Metalhead would be ishqe metal in Persian. It's a popular word. Hooligan as a word exists also in the Persian language and an alternative would be obosh. Mm. As to your feta cheese problem, Jianjian, there are dozens of delicious oven-baked feta cheese recipes on the internet. This way, you don't have to worry about being exposed to the germs. Wink. <laughs> you mean create my own feta cheese? That's yeah. true. Good lord! You you threw out feta cheese because you thought the person serving it was. I suspect uh, <laughs> it was te- teeming with COVID. Correct. Yes. Why didn't you just bake? and look how healthy I am? You could I'm have fine. made a feta cheese pizza or something. Like well, that's really it. interesting. So. Uh, Obosh? Obosh is the word for hooligan. Asholash is not. Asholash is more. I don't know. No, yeah. Obosh is the is a better word. Me, what about? He said another thing. Eshke metal for metalhead. What about that? Lover of metal. That would Lover be a metalhead. Metal. Yeah. Yeah. Eshke metal. Uh, and, and he said it's a very popular term in yeah. Iran. Eshke metal. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Club. All right. After all that, it's finally time for the letter of the day. Club <laughs> on Instagram, we have username again, no name listed. Decisive underscore one three six two thirteen sixty two says just finished listening to this episode. I found it so inspiring, honest, and sweet. Glad to get to know so many successful Iranians through Rook. To be honest with you, I'm officially addicted to your podcast and keep waiting for new episodes every week. Keep up the great work. Nice. That was beautiful. Nice. That decisive 1362? <laughs> yes, that's the one. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, for that decisive letter. Thank you for the letter of the day. Thank you, Kion Jun, Captain Reza. The fabulous Groovy Shia. <laughs> you can't all be fabulous. The Groovy Shia. Uh, well, it's full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much to Chef Hos Zareh, Ali Samidi Ahadi, Mona from Melbourne. 
Remember, for all things Rook-related, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com, where you can also become a patron and support Rook and check out all of our previous episodes there. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Ponsa the Artist, Savvy Roham, Aray Merdad, English Muhammad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there already supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any of our platforms or at our website if you've not done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And in the meantime, Mizunbashi. Bashi.